Oh, so there's 800 billion ants heading right toward us? Yeah, sure. This is going to go real well. Hello and welcome back, everyone. I'm Ryan Whitley. I'm Jessica Berg. And I'm Damian Smith. And together, we're Whiskey in the Weird. Hey, it's season two. We're excited this season to be talking about Crawling Horror, Creeping Tales of the Insect Weird, edited by Daisy Butcher and Jeanette Leaf. It is, of course, a part of the British Library's wonderful Tales of the Weird series, which collects weird stories of yesteryear from mostly obscure authors and compiles them according to a theme. Each season, we'll bring you an exploration of a different book in the series. And each episode, we promise to bring you one of the stories in a full spoiler <laughs> sort of way. We promise. We Scouts do promise. Honor. Scouts <laughs> honor. Jess is our master story planner. Jess, what's our what's our story for tonight? We are reading Leiningen versus the Ants by Carl Stevenson. And that it is a tremendous story. But before we get to it, as always, we've got some bar talk to do. Uh, before we get to our bar talk, even Damien, oh geez, was that real math you did in the tweet there up front? Was that uh, is that how many ants are in this are in this book? Uh, well, according to the story, I did some fast number crunching, and what we will learn is that it is a it is a it is a an army of ants that covers about twenty square miles. And That's if funny. we were assuming about ten ants per square inch, That's yes, what I we're assume, looking yeah. at more than. 800 billion ants in this story. Did you count ants? Did you measure ants? How many, how, what kind of ant are we talking about? I did an educated guess. Can we just move on? Yes. What are you drinking? What are you drinking, Damien? All right. Well, tonight I decided in, in spirit of uh, what we see as being a very prevalent part of this story, which is smoke. I'm drinking a barbecue old fashioned. Uh, I actually pulled my redemption high ride bourbon from last week. It's delicious. I've been drinking it more and more. I really like it, but I decided to throw it into a cocktail. Uh, so what I did was I put it into a cocktail. I mixed a couple ounces of the bourbon. <laughs> With a blueberry agridu, which is French for bittersweet. It's a syrup uh, that brings both the bitterness of blueberries and a little bit of floral nature of blueberries, as well as the sweetness of a syrup. Do you uh, make a couple it? dashes. Uh, no, I do not make it. I bought okay. this. Um, a couple dashes of black lemon bitters uh, to get a little bit of the tart tang. And then I smoked a wood chip and prepped a frozen glass with some smoke uh, before mixing everything together. Uh, it is really really good the sweetness of the blueberry a little bit of that bitter that comes through from the black lemon bitters as well uh it's tart it, it plays on a really nice i mean i was kind of gushing unexpectedly about redemption last week and mm -hmm. it holds true today it it's, makes a great uh, mixing whiskey as well so if you want the barbecue old-fashioned i actually got it as a part of a uh, cocktail courier box, and I am digging it. It was a really nice uh, combination. So give it a try. Hey, Damien, did like you chop down that wood chip? <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like the fanciest I, did. I used drink. an ant. I used one of 800 billion ants I had in my backyard, and I just had him bring me a wood chip. Because if you didn't chop your own wood chip, it's amateur hour <laughs> in the Smith household. Amateur hour. Uh, as far as um, what I'm doing outside of the realm of this series, Hey, I just read a really excellent book called The Whole. I would call it an extended novella. It's a really short, maybe one or two uh, sittings for this one. 
by uh, it's called The Hole by Hee Young Pyun. It's the winner of a Shirley Jackson Award again, couple hundred pages. It essentially has is a really like long re- revenge book that is extremely well told and very very tight in its storytelling. I I don't want to give away too much about this book. Uh, go in blind, you'll like it. It's called The Hole by Hee Young Pyun. Awesome. It's on my list. It sounds really really good. Awesome. And I'm adding it to mine right now. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Jess, how about you? What do you got? Uh, today, as we are recording, not obviously when this airs, uh, it's my mother's birthday. And oh, happy, happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday, Jan. Uh, and so Woo-hoo. in her honor, I'm drinking some whiskey that she sent me, which is the Far North Rye Whiskey, uh, uh-huh. which is just a really solid drink. Um, I've also been watching, it just wrapped up. It's on HBO Max. It's called Raised by Wolves. It's produced Ooh, by Ridley my Scott. It's the so okay, so the second season just ended. It's absolutely the most bonkers TV show that takes itself so seriously. Oh, it's really? Like a space family drama religious critique about what humanity should look like and there's androids who are raising babies and it's so nuts and i don't know if i like it or not it's one of those but i just Mm -hmm. keep watching it because it's just like i haven't seen anything like it before right there's like androids and space snakes and like people who go crazy and declare themselves like kings and lords and gods and you know what i'm into it it's any electric sheep yeah, you had me at space snakes, honestly. Oh, the space snakes has got a baby <laughs> space snake. Shh. Oh, hush. That mm-hmm. is so adorable. Yeah, is really- it like the size of galaxies? Uh, it's really big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and the mother. Okay, so it's a bunch of andro or a couple androids who are like raising babies and then they steal some babies. But the like mother android is also a murder android. Oh, it's right, spoiler alert. Give it a rest. I Gee. think that that's right. literally Raised like by the wolves. F- first episode. You get a lot of stuff thrown at you fast. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> wow, I feel so old school, or I'm about to feel so old school. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I'm just drinking the Balmore 12 tonight, y'all. This is my yeah. favorite scotch. It's just, it's a smoky delight, and it's an Isla whiskey that I adore. So I'm going going back to one of my favorites tonight and going way back to one of my old favorites for the piece of media that I've been enjoying. I've recently um, dived back into Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, this oh. is a story that I read for the first time in high school, and I've read at least once since then. But mm-hmm. uh, the the boys over at the Chromecast, which is another one of my favorite podcasts, are doing a blow-by-blow series on Dracula. And one of them mentioned that Leslie Klinger has an annotated edition out. Now, you may or may not know Leslie Klinger's annotated series. He got famous for doing Sherlock Holmes, I think, in three or four volumes. And I know him because he did two volumes of Lovecraft's stories. All the stories of Lovecraft uh, with just loads and loads and loads of annotations and illustrations and full color pictures and a beautiful hardback presentation. Um, Not a way to read a piece of fiction for the very first time, but if you're going at it for the second time, it's lovely. And I am something like 65 pages into this, this edition. And I'm on page two of the actual text of Dracula. So <laughs> it's, it's going to be a little bit of a project. How big is um, it but, total? How many pages? Oh, it's like 500 and some odd pages. Okay. But it's this big hardback book that's like a like a coffee table size book. 
Um, it Wait, is so is Leslie Klinger is, is Leslie Klinger essentially like the pop up video of classic? Yeah, these lit. are like books, like books with the pop up video style going on in the, mm. in the margins. That's so rad. It's a wonderful thing. I I really, like I said, I I can't fully recommend it because I'm not all the way through it. But I've read Dracula before, and I like that, and it's a lot of fun. So <laughs> it's going to be more fun with pictures and annotations. There's probably not a twist that's going to make you hate the annotated version. I don't I don't think there's a twist, <laughs> but 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 actually. Now that you say that, there kind of is because in his introduction, he says that all throughout his annotations, he he wants to he wants to induce in the reader the fun factor that original readers of Dracula might have enjoyed. So okay. his annotations are written from the perspective of Dracula really happened. Which oh, is, that's cool. Which Weird. is a whole level of fun that's added to all these like true annotations. So really cleverly as, done as, as van helsing places like a hand upon his shoulder <laughs> right <and it's> just... <laughs> exactly yeah very cool no, he, he takes the, he takes the tack that that bram stoker knew the harker family or whatever their real name was and mm-hmm. was in possession of all of these papers and just compiled them so it's a okay, lot of so cool that's fun yeah that's yeah. very cool all right, y'all. Tonight we are reading Line Engine versus the Ants by a man named Carl Stevenson. It's a 1938 short story. Stevenson was born in Vienna, Austria, but of German lineage in 1893. Stevenson also sometimes wrote under the pseudonym Stefan Sorrel. The editors of this volume, Butcher and Leaf, indicate that this story was originally written in German, but since it was published without crediting a translator, they believe that Stevenson likely translated it himself. It does represent the only story in this present volume that was published in translation. Very little indeed is known about Stevenson, including when he died. Sometimes his death <laughs> is... Li- it's true. Maybe he didn't. Some, maybe he hasn't yet. Um, and, and you'll see in a minute that that's not altogether improbable. Um, sometimes his death is listed as being 1954. Apparently that's when some other dude named Carl Stevenson died. Um, that <laughs> <laughs> this is where it gets confusing. That Carl he was, Stevenson, he was, a, he was a milkman in Duluth, <laughs> right? I mean, basically. So that Carl Stevenson was an historian, and I imagine that it really grates on his nerves that his death date gets attributed to this other guy. <laughs> That's a real problem for a historian. See, if I were that Carl Stevenson, I would say that I actually wrote Line Engine versus the Ants. <laughs> Why couldn't both of them have perished in the same year is my question, and it might be one that you sensibly ask as well. Well, if our Carl Stevenson died in 1954, (laughs) then he shares at least one thing in common with Poe, and that's continuing to write after his death. Nice. Works published by, written by, or edited by Carl Stevenson appear in at least eight different years between 1954 and 1967. One reference I found listed his death as occurring in Berlin in 1983, but that was the only single instance of that that I could find. So I'd like to think that it's correct because I'd like to be, <laughs> I, I, for this one guy that wrote this one blog post, I'd like for him to be the only guy on the whole internet that's right about this. I yeah, think that would be, be great for him. He's the world's only Carl Stevenson scholar. That's Good for right. you. 
And and y'all, that's it. That's all we know about Carl <laughs> Stevenson. The enigma that is Carl Stevenson has now been outlined as best as we could. All right. That's that's really as deep as we can go about him. Uh, we do, of course, know a great deal about Esquire magazine, where this story was first published in 1938 in the December issue. Stevenson shared that table of contents with none other than Mr. Ernest Hemingway. And I have him. to say that that's fitting because the macho routine we see in Leiningen versus the Ants is right up Hemingway's alley. Indeed. Leiningen versus the Ants was adapted into a radio drama in 1948 and actually into a feature film in 1954. That film was called The Naked Jungle and starred Charlton Heston in the lead of role. Of course. Y'all, I got to tell you, I watched a little bit of it this afternoon to prepare for this. And I got to say... It's not bad. It's, yeah. it's not bad good. at all. There's some Let's really, all get naked jungly. That's, that's Carl Stevenson. That's the uh, that's the milk jug bio and all that we can say about <laughs> Carl Stevenson. Okay. Damien, Thanks, what Carl. is the story about? All right, y'all. Let's dive into the epic action film translated to words on a page. <laughs> that is Line Engine versus The Ants by Carl Stevenson in just a few minutes. First of all, again, I can't stress this enough. This recap will not do the story justice. You need to read it. It's 30 pages. You'll love it. Secondly, I hear that Michael Bay has optioned the film rights. <laughs> that might be a lie, but I think it's going to happen. So look for a reboot after the naked jungle coming to a theater near you. All right. The story opens with Linogen, a planter who is helming an Amazon plantation, being warned of the approaching Quote, act of God. It's essentially a, a legendary avalanche of venomous ants that's reportedly two miles wide and 10 miles long. Hence the 20 square miles of ants. Hence the 800 billion strong. Uh, for you Walking Dead fans out there, think of the horde, you know, uh, from that season that nobody probably watched, but like a thousand times bigger. Anyway, Linogen is depicted as just a total badass. He's like a Teddy Roosevelt meets Hemingway meets Churchill meets, I don't know, like John Wayne. But he's more grizzled and shrewd. He's a general. Unfortunately, his army is a bunch of Indian peons. His words, not literally peons. Forest shamans. Yeah. And and a bunch of terrified hands on a plantation. They don't know how to battle this foe. Point is, is that no time is wasted with backstory. We dive in essentially (laughs) to the initial assault. This wave of ants has approached the plantation and are facing line engines. First line of defense, which is essentially this like 12 foot wide trench that he flooded with uh, dammed river water. Yeah, the Amazon River. Um, So it's encircling his plantation, or at least a big section of his uh, plantation, like a horseshoe. Uh, and it basically it, it creates this non barricaded section of this plantation that he's trying to funnel the ants into. It, it acts as a moat, essentially, for anything on the side in case they want to flank uh, for line engines men to kind of hide and, and take cover. But it, he's trying to filter down this massive army of ants. Well, those ants do rush in and against this first line of defense, scores of them are drowning as lines behind them use their drowning brethren and fellow soldiers as kind of like a raft or a bridge to slowly kind of take them across (laughs) the rushing water as you Um, do 
as as yeah as these things as as just the sheer numbers are starting to overwhelm in line agencies what's going on he sets the command to where the dam is opened a little bit more and the rush of water essentially washes away any progress that they have to sort of dam their dead and move the ants across this uh, water so the ants start retreating and essentially at night they go dormant the first night is won by line engine and his crew but by the next dawn the ants begin bringing in these tamarind leaves. Obviously they're in the Amazon, right? They're in a giant jungle. And so they're starting to take the leaves and showing how crafty ants are. Uh, they're bringing these leaves in and creating rafts where they're floating themselves at the base of where the water is being dammed so that they can sort of move themselves across. Now you all have to understand that when you're dealing with 800 billion ants by sheer measure of scale, it seems like one at a time, it seems like a futile effort, but these things build up, right? <laughs> so leaf raft was in fact the weakest part of the naked jungle it, it, oh, no, I bet it was uh, anyway so when line engine sees these rafts starting to come across the water what he does is he issues a command and he counters that you need to raise and lower the level of the water by affecting the dam to disrupt and basically sweep away this armada that was building up um, so during this process line engine rides around the perimeter on his horse being a badass here's the Teddy Roosevelt um, and he, he catches sight uh, in the surrounding army that's like just waiting to demolish him and his plantation and his men. He catches sight of this stag, this beautiful, majestic creature that gets a little too close to the army of ants and gets pulled in. Uh, and curiously, he watches as this thing starts to he notices that the ants go directly for the eyes first. So they eat the eyes out of this living creature so that it is blinded and stumbling around. And then it overtakes its body. Uh, when he sees this animal thrashing in pain, he whips out his rifle and like a boss, he shoots it so it suffers no more. Then he whips out his like stopwatch and he sees how long exactly <laughs> it takes the ants to pick the bones clean of the stag. And guess what? It takes six minutes. In six minutes, it's picked down to, quote, gleaming white bones. So there you go. Uh, anyway, so the, six minutes. so the drudgery of this act of, like, raising <laughs> and lowering eight. the water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Jess. I'm at least, like, eight and a half, nine minutes. Uh, <laughs> um, this drudgery of watching or of monitoring the water levels as they're raised up and down to sweep away the leaf rafts. Well, it ends up being too much for his peon crew and they don't <laughs> notice that the ants have actually found a section of the, of the damned off way to uh, create a bridge across. So as soon as that's done, it's no holes barred. Essentially it's it, line and jig. It's notified the, the, the ants have breached. We're breached. We're done. And so the first line of defense is, is now futile. Uh, line engine fires three bullets into the air, pow, pow, pow. And basically that's the signal that everyone who can hear those bullets needs to retreat to the inner circle, the inner compound that's surrounded by a barrier of petrol. Very medieval. Uh, yeah, very medieval. So the, the people make it, <laughs> most of his crew makes it, they all make it. The ants swarm and destroy all the plantation crop. They realize at this stage that the plantation's a bust, like they can't save any more of the crops itself. Uh, and at this stage, they're starting to figure out how that they can, um, that the people can make it out of here because now they're basically encircled. Uh, and in the meantime, the ants are starting to figure out a way to overcome this stinking pool of petrol that they've used as a barrier moat to keep them safe. Uh, water is one thing, but ants will not cross petrol, right? But these ants are very hungry. Think. Yeah, they, these ants are very hungry and they want them fleshy humans that are sitting behind the petrol so they <laughs> will find a way. Uh, as such, the ants start tossing debris 
yeah, those leaves that they, those leaf wraps and other little clods of dirt and branches and stuff like that. They're just basically bringing it in and throwing it on top of the still petrol pool because this is not a flowing river. This is just still water. So they realize if they cover it up, they don't have to deal with it. So now the humans are starting to freaking out. The ants are testing, crawling across as they're throwing on debris. Lineingen takes his stogie that he's been chewing on since page one. And he goes, <laughs> this ants. And he probably says something really cool and throws a match into the petrol pool, which at this stage is very, very long and wide. And it's got millions of ants crawling across it. And they all go up and get incinerated. I, I mean, once he sets fire to this petrol, it immolates hundreds of millions of ants. And before it, it eventually smokes out and kind of puts itself out because of an ash barrier. Well, at this stage, they have to refill fill the, the petrol pool, which they can. So they refill the petrol pool and the ants start doing the same thing again. Well, at this stage, like the ants don't know this. But there is only a limited amount of petrol and line engine knows this and he's starting to freak out. How many times can he do this before they're eventually going to cross out and they run out of fuel? So he starts to freak just a little bit. Not only him, though, um, the, the peons around him are starting to freak out. Two of them inexplicably strip off all their clothes and make a break for it. They try and run to these boats that are like nestled on the river. Uh, they get partially eaten. They're getting devoured. The ants see them. They cover them. They're freaking out. Their eyes get eaten out. They're flailing around. They decide they're going to take solace in the comforting waters of the Amazon River, jump into the river <laughs> to drown the ants, and promptly get eaten by crocodiles and piranha that are swimming around in the Amazon <laughs> River. So Line Engine's uh -huh. got to like be the boss leader that he is. He takes the reins. He realizes at this stage that the only chance of survival would come if someone we're able to run a few football fields through the invading ant army to release the damned waters and flood the entire plantation. You got to drown all the ants. They're all right there. You got to do it in one fell swoop. So at this stage, he proves Q, he is I not an armchair. Yeah, yeah. Dun, 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 <laughs> uh, he proves he is not an armchair quarterback. And Liney wears protective clothing. He douses himself in a bunch of petrol, whatever's left, swigs some voodoo juice from the resident shaman. This is true. And makes a break for the <laughs> damn controls. The ants see him. He's the ultimate foe. They start swarming him. Of course, his army only lasts so long. They start to penetrate it. They start biting him all over his face. They, Stevenson makes it really clear that they bite him on the inside of his nose, which to me was the scariest oh, part of this entire yeah. story. And also inside his eyelids and around his eyelids. And I'm just like, that's it. I put the book down. I needed a break. Um, <laughs> so this is happening, but you know, line engine, is it going to take it? He's getting destroyed. And when all hope seems lost, he makes it to his destination. And in like one super cool cut shot, he reaches out, like drops the, uh, the damn controls and releases the flood. And almost immediately passes out. All the ants are drowned. You find out later. He is rescued by someone. He's brought back and treated <laughs> by a nurse. He wakes up. He's a lot worse for the wear. The injuries are so extreme that bone he makes can a be joke. Seen. Yeah, he but then he jokes. This is my final line wrapping up the story. He jokes upon awakening. I told you I'd come back, even if I am a bit streamlined. <laughs> end of story and i bet he gets the girl there's no doubt he gets the girl anyway that's it and that is line engine versus the ants nice that is Great. line engine versus the ants and did you like it i'm gonna start with jess because i think i know where damien's going with this one yeah i okay this is one where the beginning of the story is that someone comes and says, hey, dude, there's a bunch of ants coming. You guys should get out of here. And his response is, 
Nah. Nah. Nah, nah I got good. <laughs> America in Brazil. I like the the stories where, like, you know what? This was your fault. You could have just left. You could have just left. You know, <laughs> you're going to be an arrogant dude who thinks like, oh, I'm way smarter than all these stupid ants. Oh, like the ants are going to eat your friends. They're going to eat your workers. They're going to eat all your stuff. Uh, I thought that was great. I, I enjoy people getting a little, you know, comeuppance when they're very well, arrogant. Comeuppance every once in a while is not a bad thing. Yeah. So you enjoyed the comeuppance of this? <laughs> Did yeah, you? I was what on did the. You enjoy? I was on the ant side. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Go team ants. Now I got to say, I I love this story, <laughs> and what I like best about this collection, and what we found a little bit different than the first season, the first series, was that um, there's a lot of different liberties taken with regards to what's weird and what's horrific. And I thought that the story was absolutely horrific, but I also thought that it was so fun and rad and action packed. And I feel like I was back in like the eighties and nineties with like the Robocops and the predators and stuff like that. And I just, I felt like I was in that hardcore badass zone of military strategy. And there is something absolutely terrifying about 800 billion ants. I can't even like, imagine that, that number of ants. Just <laughs> scary. But you know so, what? Even I mean, though I can't imagine it, you know what I can't imagine? I can imagine Chuck Norris beating them. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, all he's got to do is do a little roundhouse kick, and he's donezo. That stag, like, rises from the dead, carries him off, and he got a mummy story for you. <laughs> right? Because necromancy, that's all you need for a mummy story? No, I thought it was super rad. I liked the story, too. I, I do wish there was a little bit more characterization at the beginning, but it did jump in rather quickly to all of the action. It's clearly written as an action drama, uh, which lent itself obviously well to radio. And, and as I got to see a little bit of it lent itself pretty well to the screen. I thought it was a fun story. I've, I've got some questions about its weirdness, but we'll get to that later. Uh, my next, my next question is a little bit of an extended question. Um, so I want to read this quote. This is on page 292 where, uh, Stevenson writes, this unbroken success he attributed solely to the observance of his lifelong motto. The human brain needs only to become fully mm -hmm. aware of its powers to conquer even the elements. Now, I want to say a word about what was going on in 1938 when the story was written for scientific advancement. Number one, a living coelacanth was first discovered, previously thought to be extinct. Number two. Do you know what that's called, Ryan? A, a fish? Uh, no. Do you know what it's called when a species previously uh, thought oh. to be? No. Enlighten me. It Letting... is a la it is a Lazarus taxon. I feel like so I a should Lazarus, know that, actually. A Lazarus taxon is whenever there's a breach in a uh, genetic line of a species of animal that allegedly goes extinct, according to the historic record, that later gets rediscovered. That is very it cool. is termed a Lazarus taxon. Well, the 1938 Lazarus taxon was the <laughs> coelacanth. Uh, number two, Teflon was discovered in 1938, and people were able to make scrambled eggs without ruining their kitchen. Number three, <laughs> nylon was patented and first used to make, any guesses what was nylon first used to make? Rope. Parachutes. Rope. Parachutes, both wrong. Toothbrush bristles. Of course. 
Nylon was first the, used for toothbrush bristles. The <laughs> obvious choice. We leave dental hygiene for more serious arenas. Number four, nuclear fission was discovered, marking one of the beginning points of the atomic era. And number five, scientist Enrico Fermi won the Nobel Prize in Physics, long considered the architect of the nuclear age. So given this atmosphere of just extreme scientific advancement in all fields, boom, 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 left and right. I wonder if we could just react to this quote a bit uh, from, from Stevenson, from the text. How does it strike you when he says the human brain needs only to become fully aware of its powers to conquer even the elements? I mean, I think given the end of the story, that attitude certainly impressed Stevenson, but I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on it. <laughs> Okay, you have a ton of people who are encountering for the first time nylon and all of these like <laughs> indestructible. Like, think about it. You've Brought just on had- by the nuclear age, nylon. <laughs> if you've just had like cotton and wool that wears out and gets holes in it, and all of a sudden you have this indestructible fabric, and you've got Teflon, and you've got the ten million other things that are currently coming out, like you would feel pretty indestructible, right? Like you would feel like, all right, like all I need to do is figure out how to harness this technology, whatever it is, and then nothing stands a chance. I can farm anything. I can kill anything. I can change whatever landscape I need to. I get the idea. I like that he was wrong and he he was sort of defeated by the ant. Like he he didn't die. He flooded them all. He at least avoided, he didn't kill them all, but he at least avoided destruction by them. He won. He sort of, well. But at what cost? His streamlining. (laughs) Nothing. He's streamlined now. He got a benefit out of it. So I understand, like, I mean, even when I, if I were to go into a new city and have no idea what's happening, like, I would not be scared about anything because I have the technology of my phone that can tell me where I need to eat and where I need to, you know, buy things and how to book a hotel. Like, I feel like this is the version of that where all of a sudden you're like, mm-hmm. okay, I have you feel powerful. the world. Yeah. yeah. There, I have the materials I need to overcome whatever gets thrown my way. I mean, I think it's what, 31 years from when this story is written that we land a man on the moon. That's not that far off. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, also, I mean, this is a very early predecessor to things like technological advancements, but I think the concept of knowledge and application of knowledge today, you look at Moore's law and uh, allegedly like the number of transistors or whatever on, on, on chips is doubled every two years. So every two years, we're essentially advancing our technological standard by double of what it was two years prior. And I think that that's true. I mean, you have to look at the fact that it's been a scant 80 plus years since the story was 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 written. And this would not be an issue for us today. Well, maybe it would. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> we have means around it that were more than just like throwing stogies into pools of petrol and dolling. I don't know, Damien. Like- I think the means around it would still involve flamethrowers. <laughs> at That's least on provided, my provided by, in provided by elon musk thank you very much elon yes but um, you'd also have we have diagnostics and predictions and could see these things coming from space right 
right six yeah exactly out, you know? and that's the thing is we could affect behavior at the root level we your government a... folks is protecting you from ant swarms right this very moment <laughs> we right. could introduce a biological uh you know agent that would curb this ant's behavior to actually turn them on themselves like it's it's nuts to think of how progressive the human mind applied and resources given can advance ourselves and the rate at which that happens so I think that while this is sort of a, a very loose, like rabble rousing cry that you could say, it's sort of holding up uh, for good, bad or, 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 or indifferent. <laughs> like it's it's basically it's basically proving to be true. We're dominating everything. Just put a footnote there for better or worse. Yeah, I, it's, it's sad, but it's true. I mean, no, I think I mean, I think the attitude that that the character has uh, line engine is certainly one of, I can, there's nothing I can't conquer. There's nothing I can't beat by sheer force. The dude of is a leader. This is a quotable. I mean, <laughs> he, he says like maybe 12 things for the entire story, but every line is something that I could see as being a bumper sticker. To be it's honest. not Speech. very dialogue heavy. Yet. No, it isn't at all. But well, what about there the is, ants? What's there heard- is gold. Have you heard of this kind of ant swarm behavior before? How did it work for you in the context of this volume's theme? So, yeah, there's definitely those like late night, you know, uh, discovery channel, like things that are like half fact, half fiction um, that are like, oh, what if this took over your town? I remember <laughs> seeing something. They end with the national anthem in it going to 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 yeah, start. Exactly. You know we'll see you about. in the morning. Like the Discovery Channel doesn't have a ton of things that are entirely factual all the time. This is one of those like, ooh, based on this video of some ants making a bridge. What if they made a bridge to your house? Like that kind of thing. So I've definitely seen footage of the like ants making the little bridge and then more yeah. ants crawl over them. Terrifying. I mean, that's resourceful <laughs> and also terrifying. Yeah. So terrifying. Like, th- I think this has been our scariest bug story so far, just with like <laughs> straight up. I mean, all right. So I hear a, I hear a whimpering cry from Padre whimper. in there, but I, I feel like I 100% agree with you, Jess. This was nice. by far. I'm going to write that and down. We're, we're going to go back to, I know it doesn't happen a lot. We're going <laughs> to go back to The Wicked Flea by J.U. Geisy. In which we all were asked, is it worse to face one giant mutant thing we, of a yeah, thing? Yeah, we did talk about that. Or a swarm of the things. And all of us were set T- on the fact that it was a swarm, swarm. of things was more terrifying. No, but I will rest the in swarm. That- Here is the swarm of all swarms. Here is the swarm of all swarms. But I'll rest that my scariest story so far this season has been the Benson one, which also involved multiple iterations of the bug. Yeah, that was a... That was a- Swarm, swarm. I'm going with pillars. Benson on scariest so far. This was this was too fun to be scary. Delta Force was not scary. It was fun, dude. But uh, when you see the stag getting taken down, it eats his eyes first, so he's disoriented. It falls. It gets picked clean. Yeah, in six and the minutes. predator skin that is straight alive, up. But still, I ain't got time <laughs> to bleed. Is awesome. Ah, oh, all right. Good call, Carl Fine. Weathers. Oh man, there's just so much good stuff yeah. going on there. For all me, right, the right. like. You know, line engines like running around and he can feel the ants like getting in his clothes and in his eyelids. And no, there were some terrifying scenes like, for sure. That was one where I had to like not look at the book for a minute and just kind All of right, like, let me let me expand the question. Let me expand the question because I think this gets to the heart of part of what we're talking about throughout this entire podcast. Does this qualify as weird fiction? 
No, there's, okay, there's not okay. a weird element here, really. I am going to hearken back to the fact that weird is being used <laughs> out of context. I think if you're defining weird as like ultra, which is just completely irrational, unthinkable, you know, completely insane uh, circumstances, then no, I wouldn't call this weird because this is something that, as you mentioned, happens like right these ants can colonize right. and ants do move, this yeah and this can theoretically happen there was nothing supernatural here there was nothing out of like modern science that exists here except for the sheer volume it's the, it's the hyperbolic is size pretty, is the only yeah, weird factor yeah it's pretty plausible so maybe it's not weird but so this is when interesting we see the way that the swarm affects the people and when we see like the highly actionized i I could almost see this as being satire. I could almost see this as being something that like, you know, pits man against immovable natural force. Right. And so is highly, is highly um, uh, metaphorical. But I think that it is just a really, really fun, super scary story. So if they want to slap a weird <laughs> label on it, I'm all for it. I don't okay, know. Well, I want to ask you, Damien, this is interesting. What is your definition of weird fiction? To me, weird would be something that is just, it's completely insane and out of the ordinary. When, you know, we talk about Stephen King a little bit and he's a classical horrorist, you know, but I think one of his weirdest tales was called, it was a short story called The Finger. And it was just a dude who noticed uh, a finger coming out of his oh, drain, the drain. And then the finger kept coming out. And there was knuckle after knuckle. Like that is probably one of his weirdest stories, <laughs> even though the rest of his stuff could theoretically tilt the weird scale. Um, I think that that was one that stands out to me as like the weirdest. Another being, I don't know that, what was it called? Like Strange Brew or something? I, I can't remember, but it was a is guy who drank bad beer and it turned him into a guy. giant brain. Yeah, mm -hmm. he turns into a giant brain. Like that stuff is just like, it's outro, right? It is, it is the... It, it, it's it's hard to describe, but it's kind of like art. You know it when you see it. So I would say that, no, I agree with you, Ryan, that this story, the line engine versus the ants, isn't what I would ever classify as weird. But was it fun in this collection? Yes. yes. Did it no, fit I with agree a bunch with, of I other stories that. that didn't classify as weird? Yeah. Yes. That are still yeah. in this collection? Sure. I think that the editors are really showing and flexing a bunch of different genre meldings that are coming together nicely. I agree with at least the last part of what you said. Jess, what do you think? What's your <laughs> definition of weird? <laughs> I was just looking up when the See how the I ran that over? The I see. Story. You steamrolled it. I'm, 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 I'm suppressed. I think weird is something that's incomprehensible. So it has to be something where you don't know the answer to. Why is this happening? What is this thing? Uh, and... What do we do about it? Like, there just has to be this question that is big and you can't fit your regular everyday mind around it. Yeah. So I think that I think the only place where I, I want to disagree with that is weird to me. It doesn't have to be big. It can be a perfectly normal story where just one element of it is twisted counterclockwise a little bit to the point that it makes you tilt your head and go, huh. And, and here I want to cite authors like Robert Aikman, right? You can read a Robert Aikman story and be completely unsettled and not know why. I want to cite uh, Robert Shearman. I want to cite Damien Angelica Walters. Uh, there's a whole host of other stories. I mean, there's a number of Laird Barron stories that do this, right? Where it's not this huge weird thing. You can go all the way to the other end of the spectrum. Look at Clive Barker's In the Hills, In the Cities. Sure. Where it is huge. It is, it is enormous. Uh, it is obviously strange, but 
I think weird versus horror, weird resides more in the small twist to things. And, and here, the only twist is the hyperbolic size of the ant swarm. I'm not sure that does enough for me to, to qualify weird. as weird, but I do agree that this story has a great place in this collection because it it, it ends the collection on a terrific action-packed sequence. Yeah. Um, it, it uses <laughs> ants, and I don't know where, you know, we're, re- we're bouncing around in the collection, so I don't know if ants come up again or have already come up since this is the last story, but we haven't read ants yet. And that was a new and fun thing. Uh, I, I I do think the story belongs in the collection. I just don't know how weird it is versus sort of sci-fi sort of action drama. Right. But I, I just, I mean, I think that that goes to the Testament that everyone sort of defines their own weird. Like you're saying it yourself, like yeah. you consider weird as being this minor twist, but also weird was classically defined as being like sort of founded um, by the Lovecraftian concept of like elder gods and alternate dimensions and stuff that is very grand. Yeah, that is in that's its very cosmic. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So, you, you know, you kind of go back to that and you're like, OK, so what is it? Is it this big giant like parallel universe concept of like alternate beings and like uh, humans are minuscule, which in fact is demonstrated in this story. In this story, <laughs> or is no, it you're the absolutely fact that, like, right about that. Or is it the fact that uh, you know it's just one little weird thing is like twisted, or one little concept is twisted and set to your to your uh, term counterclockwise, which I like, and that sets the whole thing into a weird you know forward progress. I think that the fact that weird is so is so like patently and blank blanketed in the literary universe that it's hard to find a solid definition for it. And so it, it comes up to the reader. Right. I mean, it's I having a moment you. now too, right? Yeah. I agree with you that I don't think that I would if someone said, Do you consider this weird horror or weird terror or weird science fiction? I would say no. I would consider this an action story. Uh, that's plausible. So I wouldn't consider it weird, but it's very horrific and very terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would classify it as weird, but then again, like what, you know, where those thresholds are met between you and I and Jess might be very different right. spaces. And so I think I we're all, all think, three of us are hitting on different aspects of it. It's yeah. a big, it's a big definition. Yeah. Um, we could have a whole episode and maybe we should on what is we should. weird. We should. Nick we Cage should, and we what should. is weird. That's right. We'll get Nick Cage and a few others to join us for that episode. Let's move <laughs> along uh, and let's talk about the ending. Here's my question about the ending. Thrilling heroics or macho malarkey? Where do you land? Ooh, baby. It's some toxic masculinity. Just let your workers go home. Hey, everybody. If someone says, hey, a bunch of <laughs> ants are going to come and kill all your workers, get out of there. Just get out of there, guys. You ruined uh, your farm anyway. You flooded if- it. Uh, fact check, Jess. He did say, "If you want to leave, now no, he time. did. Take You're your right. Pay and go. Did he? And nobody okay. left. Well, okay. So, so don't don't throw them under the ant bus. Are they right, don't a throw unionized the workplace? Or if they left, are they going to face <laughs> ramifications from their employer? There's no ramifications. They got their pay and they could go home. They chose <laughs> there not is to. a scene in the naked jungle in which one of the workers falls asleep and is swarmed by the ants. So I mean, maybe that's, that's not great. That, I mean, you know, also don't decide on the to job. leave. 
later and get piranhaed to death or whatever happens to those other guys. I just like how they took off all their clothes. Like, what the hell? What to run faster? (laughs) It was just it was very deliberate. It said a naked Indian like ran toward the boats and was swarmed by the ants. It was like wow. He could have been the smartest one of them all though because he could have been like, if I'm gonna be eaten by ants, let's get it over with. I guess that's Ugh. true. Pull all barriers. I either do this and gonna, I live or I don't and minute, I die quickly. Six minute time fast. limit down to five. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Good call, Padre. All right. Thrilling heroics or macho malarkey? No one's answered the question yet. I say thrilling heroics. I think that Jess is on macho malarkey, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's exciting. I thought it was fun. I'm not mad about it, but it's I'm also totally... just like. I'm totally There's falling a- on gender lines here. I'm going to say it was really <laughs> heroics too. It was pretty He fun. opted to go and like do the hero's run to open the dam. He could have delegated one of his peons to do it. Yeah, maybe that it was because worse. maybe it's because he didn't trust them because probably untrustworthy. Um and so <laughs> because of that, good bad or indifferent, it was a thrilling heroic. Which, which in the end of the film was accomplished not by twisting some sort of like knob or wheel, but with dynamite, making the thrilling heroics <gasps> even more so thrilling. cool. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, no, it was so cool. He takes a whole like big clunk of dynamite, like throws it at the dam and ignites it. Did he say it. anything? He, no, no, there's no lines. He ignites it by shooting it with a revolver. Yeah. Like that's it was amazing. The Jaws. Jaws. <laughs> say goodnight you son of a alright let's right. talk about the writing how did the writing work for you I was entertained it was good like there's no not a lot of dialogue you don't need a lot of dialogue it's just a lot of dudes running around solving problems with but it was also a lot of like fire. military strategy it was also a lot of like here's the terrain here's the enemy here's their approach like here's what they're doing here's what we're doing <laughs> And you well, see, I said like, something earlier about how it was very medieval, but there was a feudal aspect to this, you yeah. know, in terms of like siege warfare with castles yes, and moats. It really and, was. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. I thought some yeah, of the writing was pretty fun. What, uh, what, particularly... never, what, what never faded was the sense of grandeur and the sense of size and scale oh, of no, the Ant no, Army. No, it was really I mean, well done. That to me, like, I couldn't chase that image from my head. The fact that they're like, look, if a hundred million ants decide to carry leaves and they drown like by a nature of scale will eventually get a bridge across this river because a hundred million ants will take 10 million years to like dive through if we have 800 billion ants to work with i I can't follow that math necessarily well it's uh 12 ants per square inch No, what I what I what I will say though is that in terms in terms of the writing, um, it was very exciting. It was very thrilling. In fact, I read this story and I got my playlist out on my uh, streaming music source, uh, where I played a playlist called "Blood and Thunder: Parades and Marches" because that was the yeah. only possible yeah, soundtrack did. to this. To yeah, this you story. did. That's. <laughs> The most ridiculous title. I don't know who made I've it, but heard. but five five stars to that person that made Blood and Thunder Parades and Marches <laughs> five playlist. Five fingers I think to it's you. Five fingers. No, the writing, the description of of these ants was really well done. Page two ninety six. Thumb long, reddish black, long legged insects. The brilliant cold eyes 
and the razor-edged mandibles of this host of infinity. Ah, I love that. So the good. host of infinity. I also have to say that I really appreciated on page 303 the allusion to Macbeth and Burnham Wood, like the wood that that marches forward as the enemies come forward in Macbeth. That was a great, mm-hmm. like, we are reading serious literature allusion. And then <laughs> <laughs> I I particularly liked uh towards the end when he's in his final uh final attack on the on the dam thing. He started the wheel before it turned once on its access. The swarm covered his face. Line engine strained like a madman. His uh, lips stop. pressed tight. If he <sighs> opened them to draw breath. Ellipses. One of the more effective uses of ellipses that I've read. In this mean, collection. He did that a few times in this yeah. story. There's like, a few dot, imagine, dot, dot, imagine just happens. opening your mouth. Like you can't open your mouth. because These things are everywhere. Nope. Oh, 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 stop. <laughs> <laughs> So as I mentioned a couple of times, I did watch several clips of the film and in the film version, The Naked Jungle, which is a great title, uh, it inserts a romance subplot, surprise, surprise, in the form of a 19 year old mail order bride named Joanna, played by Eleanor Parker. This film bills itself as a disaster movie. Now, go with that for a second. What's the disaster? I would agree. Uh, Disaster on humanity in that it is an unsurmountable or an insurmountable like undefeatable force so why wouldn't that be a disaster it's the it's the natural biological um equivalent of a hurricane just making a funny face you buy that oh, Jess? I buy that. Yeah. oh that's an i buy that face ryan that's an i buy that face <laughs> <laughs> she's sitting there with her square build commie hat on smoking a stogie going i buy that <laughs> No, I think the disaster, I think as the film, the disaster has more to do with the destruction of this man's plantation and like the loss of white wealth in colonial Brazil or post-colonial Brazil. Um, But I don't think this is a disaster story as it's written. I mean, in in the text. If we had examples of, you know, other farms being destroyed and descriptions of the march of, you know, if they're ruining other things. Like this is a big giant swarm of ants, but you only kind of see them destroying one farm and, uh, you know, the handful of dudes who are there. Uh, right. Whereas and disaster, I think bigger scale. I think you see skyscrapers falling down. Right, you see right. whole states wiped out. In the and I know okay. you guys didn't have the benefit of seeing the film version, but in the film version, the destruction of, of the of the of the plantation is this long, drawn out scene of the waters from the river just blowing this thing over and swallowing it up in these raging river waters. And it's not it's not the destruction of the people that is the thrust of this scene. It's the destruction of the property and it's mm-hmm. the destruction still of the natural product. disaster. But that's still natural disaster. But it's I mean, because he... earthquakes can come and like cause $10 billion in damages to a major metropolis and still only result in loss of life of less than Oh, absolutely people. true. Like it's it's a natural element that causes massive destruction and not necessarily massive loss of life. So I don't see why that isn't considered a natural disaster, whether it's I, this or I was just trying uh, to be aware, I think, or of a the, tsunami of the viewpoint of this. Uh, you know, this is a, a white man in post-colonial Brazil. There's I get echoes it. of colonialism in the, yes. in the story. Uh, and to to say that it's a disaster that 
it destroyed this. But this guy's, is like, also cocoa this is also a product. well-known force and destructive force yeah. with the indigenous culture as well. This doesn't just happen to I mean, the story takes place within a white man's plantation, but it doesn't exist in that silo. It this is this is a roaming force that has been yet to be contained by indigenous cultures and populations that is still going around and just terrorizing the forestry. Uh, uh, villages, etc. No, I would agree. Like if this, the local if this ant swarm came here, it would be a disaster. There, I don't have a flamethrower <laughs> handy, which I need. To I mean, make let's it look at murder hornets. My to-do list, do you remember right? the murder hornets? Oh that yeah, was, yeah, yeah, that was a yeah. disaster. Okay, right? that was a natural the, disaster. Can I talk about the emu war yet? Yes, please. Let's talk about the emu. Let's okay. talk about emu. Please, Jess, please. Okay, so this story was written not that long after an actual war against a swarm of emus. <laughs> amazing uh it's i mean it's horrible because a bunch of emus died but so okay did they start Tips. the war though yeah yeah kind of so we okay. didn't start well, the hey, fire there you go so it's always been burning world war one australia they the government <laughs> demands that farmers increase their crops so they farm a bunch of extra land now we need a- vegemite so now we've got a bunch of extra <laughs> flat land so now we've got a bunch of emus because Oh, heck, there's a bunch of flat land and I'm an emu. Okay, so then the emus like breed incredibly rapidly and 20,000 emus in one flock start running around and they're like destroying farms and then they're ruining fences. So then whatever they don't eat, the rabbits can get through the fences and they eat. So then they send the army after the emus and they can't fight them they're like shooting them with machine guns and i don't know maybe tanks like big guns and they shoot like 20 emus and the emus win and it's hilarious that is awesome could only so possibly anyway, this be made was... better by kangaroo like boxing emus right as a scene. so this yeah. is not that long before this story so you think and that so... that has an influence on this i think so okay i mean hey that sounds ha- cool i think they made like newsreels because like they sent cameras out with these like guns mounted on trucks to shoot the emus to try to make these like heroic videos of you know like what the army was accomplishing and then the army didn't even shoot any emus they did a really bad job (laughs) i mean that has a lot of gravitas because when you think about it you take the you take the size and scale of like an emu army fine but then you say what is the smallest viable like threat like you know, zoological threat that I can put into a story. A bajillion ants. Well, like ants, is- ants, <laughs> ants are small. They're venomous. They're aggressive. They're crafty. It is. It is a pretty solid enemy. It's a pretty solid antagonist. Well, this is- oh, 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 it took us this okay. long. It took us. It took us this long to get there. But why has? I. I mean, but then you can scale it down to say, well, how many ants could fit an emu? Probably, uh, I don't know, twelve thousand. So in this case, like, let's make this number just absolutely astronomical, and then you have a terrifying tale. So this is also the like, what would you rather deal with? One really big flea or a lot of little fleas? What would you rather deal with? A lot of emus or even more giant emus? Like they're so big. <laughs> There's a lot of emus here. There's okay, a I think lot I know of emus. I think I know where we're going to end up with this one, but did the scare hold up for this story? 
Oh, I thought yeah. I, I thought it was very I definitely I mean scare scare is weird. It wasn't like this like deep under your right. epidermis like bone chilling scare, but it was a serious like jaws threat. I don't want to be eaten alive scare. Right. I did one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent held up. And it, yeah, it like changed I the way I interacted with the next aunt I met. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I had to not read it for a few seconds. Like I'd read a description of swarming ants eating people's eyelids. The biting the inside of his nose and his <laughs> eyelids. I was just like, oh, oh. Yeah. I started to dry heave. I was just like, this is grotesque. Right. Yeah. That brings us to our whiskey rating, friends. This is how we rate stories here on Whiskey and the Weird. From one finger all the way up to the coveted five fingers or full fist of whiskey. Damien, let me start with you. How many fingers of whiskey for Line Engine versus the Ants? Four banger. This is coming in at four strong fingers. Uh, I would go higher, but I don't think that it was weird. I think that at the end of the day, like this wasn't really horror. This was more action, like thrilling action. Um, And I think that I I also have a, I hold a little bit of umbrage towards authors who write stuff that I think is meant for another medium. And <laughs> well, I don't think that this was the case in 1938, I think that ultimately that this was meant to be a radio play, which it was, which it was. So congratulations. Yeah. Dude was ahead uh, of his time. Yeah. Stevenson, you did it. You did it. You son of a bee. Uh, but I, I also just really appreciated this was an easy 30 pages and I read it like a, like a young testosterone riddled buck <laughs> that was just like, yeah. Cool, do it, blow <laughs> stuff up, be a hero, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so it Shoot tapped that into dynamite. Yeah, it tapped into that core like vein of of just appreciation of action films. So Only I give it a strong four fingers. Better with the Blood and Thunder Parades and Marches playlist. <laughs> Jess, how many that. fingers of whiskey for you? I think four also. I Yeah, but, Jess, yeah. rock on. Uh I probably like enjoyed it for other reasons since I was, you know, team ants or whatever. All right. What are uh, those reasons, yeah, Jess? Odd. What are they? Yeah. Well, I think that the ants should win. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Jess, you're so hardcore. You're just like, kill them all, ants, kill them all. Listen, you could have left. You didn't. It's ants time now. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> it's the ants time. Planet it's of the ants. ants time. <laughs> you know, like I'm on the side of the emus. I'm on the side of the ants. I don't know. This might be the first time we've all come in with the same whiskey rating. I also oh have four God. fingers of whiskey for this. Dope. A great action-packed drama, horrifying bug, and pretty gross, vivid descriptions, as Damien's alluded to, not only of the ants, but of what they can do to human flesh and, and other kinds of flesh. Not enough characterization for me uh, to give it the full fist of whiskey. And as Damien already mentioned, I, I agree with you, Damien. Aside from the hyperbolic inflation of the size of the ant army, not really a weird tale. So four fingers of whiskey for me. It was fun. It was action packed. Went better with a playlist. Yeah. Check out the film, The Naked People. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. The radio <laughs> drama is also really entertaining. Oh, I do have to good. listen to that. Uh, William Conrad uh, reads one of the versions that I, I mm-hmm. listen to, and it's very, very entertaining. All right, Damien, I think you have And the fact that their gunshot is like, is literally, yeah, I have an if this than that. But the fact that the gunshot is literally <laughs> like, done. is literally like someone clapping their hands, I think is sort of telling <laughs> for old school radio drama. <laughs> the, the the fully artistry isn't what it could be. So. Watch out. 
uh, if this, then that. So obviously I think all of us have something in mind when it comes to swarm horror, which is what I'm going to coin this, which is just <laughs> insurmountable odds. Um, I referenced a little bit about the walking dead with the season with the horde, but tonight I'm going to throw a shout out to one of my favorite cinematic experiences, 1997's starship troopers. Oh Paul yeah. Hoven adapting the literary classic into a film starring Casper Van Dien, Neil Patrick Harris, Dina Meyer, Denise Richards, Jake Busey, Clancy Brown. Let's not forget the eponymous character actor, Michael Ironside. This is about a group <laughs> of folk who are facing an external bug threat, as they call it, uh, and going to planets that are infested with insurmountable numbers of these bug uh, uh, enemies and dying in scores just for the sake of what? We don't know. So sort of tapping into Jess's like, why did this even have to happen? It doesn't. Uh, <laughs> and if you're also looking for a gratuitous like shower scene, go ahead. Go see some boobs. Uh, again, 1997 Starship Troopers. If you haven't seen it, what are you even doing in this world? Like, go out and check out that film. It yeah, is great, but it, it also taps into the vein of swarm horror like like none other. It is a classic. It is one of my favorite cinematic experiences, and you deserve to see it. Not just a movie, a cinematic experience. True that. It's pretty super gross, too, if I recall. It is very gory. There's a lot gory. of blown up bugs. It is. A, well, there's a lot of eviscerated people too. Yeah. <laughs> people meet their end. Yeah. That's going to do it for us tonight, folks. Thank you so much for joining us here on whiskey and the weird. We would really appreciate it. If you would give us a rating and a review wherever you catch your podcasts, that super helps us get noticed and we super appreciate it. As always, we want to thank Dr. Blake Brandis who provides our music for whiskey and the weird. Jess, what story are we reading next? Okay, next we have our, I think our first totally uncredited story, an anonymous tale. That is uh, going to make the, my job so much harder. Well, or easier. <laughs> uh, it's called The Mummy's Soul. Oh, another mummy story. Excellent. You got it. Damien, if people are feeling social and want to get in touch, where can they find us? Yeah, you rocking the socials, folks. <laughs> okay. Find us on Twitter at Whiskey Weird Pod, on Twitter at Whiskey Weird Pod. On Instagram, we're at Whiskey and the Weird, at Whiskey and the Weird on Instagram. We spell our whiskeys with an E. If you don't, guess what? I'm sending 800 billion ants to your little Brooklyn apartment to eat your face off. In a so mathematically just, uh, correct ant swarm. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Whitley. <laughs> I'm Jessica Berg. And I'm Damian Smith. <laughs> And these are all the little ants around us. We're Whiskey and the Weird Friend. Thanks. Let's go home. Who's got the outro? Hey, as always, keep your friends through the ages and your creeps in the pages. Have a great night, everybody. Take care. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. If we spell our, e our whiskeys... We don't spell whiskey at all. <laughs> 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 <laughs>